Today in the Marshall Pro Podcast, we have your listener Q&A episode of the Week in IndyCar Show. Big, big thank you to you. The show is quite a lot of fun. For good old hashtag me personally. Uh, good old Marshall Pruitt here. I love me some IndyCar. I love me some talking about IndyCar. And thanks to y'all. And I'm not really from the South, although my father's from Arkansas. But, you know, I slip in and out of personalities. Got your questions. They're great questions. They're fine questions. I look forward to getting to them here in a moment. I'm going to say thank you, as always, to the Justice Brothers. Boy, hope you got a chance to listen to the Catching Up With episode with Ed Justice Jr. that I posted over the weekend. That man is a mighty fine storyteller. Also, to Cooper Tires. Yes, Cooper Tires. They rock. They're all kinds of awesome. They also power... The Road to Indy, very important. All three tiers of the Road to Indy, wearing Cooper tires. Finally, torontomotorsports.com. They are my good pals that make fun possible. And Bell Racing Helmets USA. Uh, A lovely quartet of awesome folks that support all we do here on our podcast As I mentioned last week, and I'm going to continue to mention, if you are here for the questions and answers and nothing more, well, I do provide a timestamp in the description of every episode that tells you exactly where to fast forward to to get there. Since I haven't recorded the episode yet beyond a couple minutes here, I don't know where it's going to be. So that's why I would say each week, if you just want the Q&A, and not to catch up with me, whatever's coming to mind, and whatever observations that pop into my head, use that description to your benefit. Fast forward, and the Q&A is waiting for you. Another quick note, which I often forget, on my Week in IndyCar IndyCar listener Q&A, I stumble as I am about to mention that I refer to this show as my unpolished turd because I don't cut out the mistakes i leave in everything so that is possibly the most accurate version of me there is i mess up telling you i'm leaving the mess ups (laughs) ah you know i love being my special kind of idiot it's just me hopefully you've come to accept it if not you're diving for the stop button and bless you you're probably the smartest among all of us so before we get going this week, a couple of quick items to mention. First of all, boy, uh, doing this on a Monday evening. It is 7.53 p.m. My wife, Mrs. Pruitt, uh, it is her birthday a week from now. Uh, keep that to yourselves. Uh, she does lurk a bit on the Twitters. So uh, I'm trying to think what to get her. And, you know, we've been together 18 years, married for 15. Maybe this is something that other folks have been married for a while. Maybe it's something y'all deal with. There comes a point where you kind of bought a lot of things and think you've kind of given your loved one all the things that come to mind. So real inventiveness, I'm struggling here a little bit. So uh, if you have any ideas... If you have any idea of who my wife is and the things she may or may not like, 
first of all, that'd scare me. But secondly, send me a direct message on whatever social media platform I use that you know about. Uh, I'm open to ideas. She's not a jewelry girl. She's not a, you know, she's not a flashy stuff person. So yeah, just trying to think and I'm struggling. Um, had a pretty awesome phone call today from an Indy car driver right before we were heading out the door for physical therapy, where my wife did her first ever three hour, three straight hour session, which was pretty amazing. Um, 90 degree temps, by the way, uh, no air conditioning, just the doors open, uh, at the facility that we go to that is offering these specialized physical therapy she needs. And, not only was it pretty impressive to see her do that, but I really appreciated the call from the IndyCar driver made just as we were getting ready to head out the door. My wife actually yelled at him to shut up so he could go, which is pretty funny. And I'm like, hey, this is a friend of mine. Uh, that IndyCar driver, who I'm not going to name now, uh, I'm hoping everything works out and you'll get to read about it by me or anybody, frankly. Uh, that IndyCar driver is very motivated to take action and do the thing that IndyCar has not done. Uh, Nobody, to my knowledge, within IndyCar has done, and that is create their own uh, Drive for Diversity-style program. And that is to get possibly a young driver of color, very young driver of color, also a young girl slash woman again there's no specific age but young driver of color possibly a young woman as well could be two selections could be one we don't know uh and do some big things to advance their career and wow uh this is the kind of thing i've been hoping for uh i'd be lying if i said praying for that's still something i need to do but this is a kind of action that I've been just, man. And the phone call wasn't the first time we were on this topic. This is something we've been discussing just privately for a little while now. This driver has the, uh, the means and the name and the uh, success, the overall brand to be able to do this. So we're going to see where this goes going to convene again this week and just try and see if it's possible. Got a lot of ideas, but I love the fact that at least one IndyCar driver is thinking big, not saying, I don't know what to do, or I'm listening or being passive, but being active, being willing to put in some of their own money and rally others and try and do something that is lasting. I mean, how cool is that? race car drivers are not knowing for being selfless and and that's not a criticism of race car drivers it's a in most instances it's a individual sport sports car racing can be a little bit different with co-drivers but again if you're a stock car open wheel whatever you know it's you against the world so i get that part i do love the fact that uh this one driver at least so far is thinking, hey, maybe I can be part of the solution. I don't need to wait on anyone else. So that makes me super, super happy. Mention this at the start of my Week in Sports Cars show just because it 
blows my mind. And right now, where it seems like every day is a little bit worse than the last, uh, with nooses being found in garages, in the one garage where a black driver happens to work, to Alex Zanardi, to just people being nasty to one another. Um, it's not been the easiest time of late and that's not a, Oh, woe is me crying moment. I know many of you feel the same thing. Uh, the coronavirus is kicking a lot of people's behinds to start just in throwing many of us out of our routines, throwing some, folks out of work furlough how do you pay for again so many things in recent months that were already really challenging uh the average person's ability to keep their spirits up and pushing forward add in a a series of murders of people of color black people in particular that has continued to see us as a people, not all of us, of course, it's never 100%, but see us, a lot of youth as well, which is the thing that makes me so happy, pushing every single day, whether it is with their voices, whether it is with their action, whether it's outside in the streets protesting, speaking online, through social media, through video, through TikTok, through whatever. Um, boy, we are, it sure feels like we're in the midst of something really important that we are living through. Sadly, it's been sparked through loss and brutality. But seeing all this, I know I'm not the only one who is a little leery to check what's happening in the world each morning and what kind of really nasty, disgusting thing uh, has been perpetrated. And so that's been floating around in my head and it's been weighing on my heart very heavily. And again, for those who don't come here for this and just want the Q and a, please go there, save me the complaints. Um, then there was this pretty amazing thing that happened. I think Friday, Friday, maybe Saturday, Friday, I think where, uh, a couple of weeks ago, kind of the beginning of June, I got a text from uh, the delightful Mrs. Julia Wilson, uh, wife of my dear departed friend Justin Wilson, her husband, and she asked for a new address. I just assumed that it was, you know, she's cleaning up updating Christmas card lists or something like that and didn't think anything of it and got a delivery on Friday uh, from her and opened it up and I mean, I'm staring at it right now and it makes no sense. Still doesn't make sense. I mentioned this on the sports, on my sports car show and that is one of Justin's helmets um, I, I, I have it just sitting here to the right of my desk just to stare at it because I, I, it's really hard to contemplate. Um, it's really hard to contemplate. So, uh, again, that's not me. Oh, woe is me. Good Lord. 
Uh, Julia is the one who suffered the loss. But Julia as well, uh, who's just... If you don't know her, if you've never heard Julia, she is just the sweetest, funniest, brassiest woman you're going to meet. I mean, I've got... I have and have always... uh, I've had so much love for her. And so just for her to think of this, of me, is nuts. Uh, Justin and I were very close. Not a secret. Um, The letter that she sent that was uh, signed by her and their two daughters, Jane and Jess. uh, I mean, I'm not going to read it because it's just way too personal. It's just, you know, sent to my wife and I. And, yeah, we've done a lot to try and help them, to look after them as best we can. Um, But that's not special. And this is maybe not expected this to be a little arc, but this is no, not really any different than what I'm talking about with a driver wanting to do something, IndyCar driver wanting to help young women, young drivers of color to have an opportunity in the sport where they may have not received one. The two that I mentioned, the one young woman and the one young black driver that this driver uh, IndyCar driver mentioned, he said in both instances um, they have not had the opportunities to progress. And he says it's infuriating because he's raced with them, he's watched them, he's observed, paid close attention, and thought the whole time they have the talent to go forward. But for whatever reasons, it's usually the family stretched and doesn't have the money to help them move up and spend hundreds of thousands to go hit the road to Indy. Um, This is no real different. Honestly, it isn't. Um, Helping raise money for the Wilson children, that's just taking care of of my brother's family after he was killed. Like, it is the most non-unique thing possible it's taking care of your brother taking care of your sister because you should not because anything is expected to come back your way it's because you should and so julia sent this uh it's just i guess her wanting to share some love um, and appreciation maybe, I don't know, but I appreciate them and love them more. So I don't know. Uh, I've been more of a mess than usual, my friends and family here. Um, my head's been spinning. My heart has been spinning. Uh, my wife has yelled at me in, in, in a, the positive kind of yell of, don't pay attention to any of that stuff in the world and ju- just don't be don't be in the world be you know I tell her look I, I hear you I know that's the biblical way I, I struggle with this one the stuff gets to me and maybe I'm in the minority here maybe it you know weak and the, all that stuff I wouldn't argue with you I'm sure it is um, but it's who I am so <laughs> There you go. So I hope that was 
a insight into my little world before we get rolling with your questions here that is as honest as i can be and i do enjoy just letting all my faults uh just fall where they may be and thank you for those who've chosen to listen and all right it's time to go uh i avoided crying so that's a win um y'all sent in some great questions truly and i and i uh, stoked that we get to get rolling with them right now the fact that i mentioned that this is my unpolished turd of a show how exactly are the ways that that's expressed uh forgetting to download your questions Uh, i looked through them read through them uh in the word document in my email actually downloading them no that would be something a person that's truly professional would do but yeah we don't go to such links here on the week in indycar listener q and a jr hildebrand is going to be our guest by the way on wednesday i'm looking forward to that um last little thing to throw out i'm almost done listening through and cleaning up my uh, long form interview with george mack uh, one that i recorded at long beach in 2018 so it's i think about an hour 45 or so long his father popped in for that by the way for that interview unexpectedly which is pretty awesome so i'm hoping to get that done here and have it out before the end of the week uh, that was a goal last week failed um also had four new racer magazine commissions come in uh one new from road and track this morning um and we're traveling four out of five days this week so it's a it's a normal normal thing in the pruitt household so where are we going where are we going to start howard bennett paul trahan robbie bergeron and jj gertler on the topic of a man that if you don't love him i would say you are not human we're going to start with howard says can you say a few words for alex zanardi please hoping he can pull through his injuries hoping paul says alex zanardi is one of the few people i would consider a hero do you have any zanardi stories you'd like to share uh let's see i'll get to the the notes here from robbie and jj in a second we normally open the show with some sort of bigger topic that we visit with for a little bit so appropriately so thanks to tim falkowitz who puts these together for me the lists Uh, we're going to start where we should with the pineapple alex zanardi here's a little bit of an insight might not be a surprise to some and again i never know what you know so alex and i have a pretty friendly relationship can't say that we've known each other forever i wish we have but uh we don't was very fortunate to watch him uh in his rookie season in cart up close was there for pretty much the whole thing that was uh, my last year working in indie lights full-time so got to see a whole bunch of alex and testing and you name it before that just as a little backgrounder was an avid reader weekly purchaser of autosport magazine and cottoned on to alex and all the things that made him unique 
when he landed in Formula 3000, which today is known as Formula 2. Uh, driving for Il Baron Rampant, the rampant baron. And boy, was he spectacular in the European equiv- equivalent of Indy Lights. Then followed his career very closely as he made it into Formula 1, usually with smaller, underfunded teams, bounced around a bit, then came over here. And it was such a delight to see him in cart because this doesn't happen very often. The most recent example I could offer Howard would be Robert Wickens of somebody who had found a car, a formula that fit them to perfection. That's what we saw with Robbie. Robbie hadn't been a guy in Formula One like Alex. I mean, Alex had driven faster cars, more lethal, you know, speed and holy cow type things before he got to IndyCar, but not a lot, you know, and not necessarily with great, great teams. This is a guy who plugged into his Firestone shod Renard Honda chassis was almost in an instant a perfect match, one with the car. It just was a formula that added up to all the right things for him, and that was so evident right away. So Vassar, Jimmy Vassar was the carryover, was a rookie with the Chip Ganassi Racing Team, target Chip Ganassi in 95, carried over to 96. He obviously ended up winning the title that year. But wow, um, no disrespect to Jimmy, but somewhere around the halfway point of the season, it became pretty clear the Zanardi guy was going to be moving to the top of the list, and he sure did. Boy, did he do that. So that's, again, just a little bit of background for those that you know weren't, able, weren't fortunate enough to watch Alex come in, sweep in, and just immediately be effective. Um, in terms of stories, Paul, you know, I'll just share this because there, you know, there are many folks who can share more intimate racing stories about him and have, I mean, we did, uh, if you haven't listened to it or watched it, I got Alex, Jimmy and Mike Holt together Last year at Daytona, the Rolex 24, and we filmed a uh, Memories of Their Target Chip Ganassi uh, time together. So if you haven't watched that, if you haven't listened to it, you uh, you might enjoy it. Um, the thing I can share with you about Alex that is completely different than any other human being that I speak with today in my role as reporter, writer, media monkey. When I call Roger Penske, always very polite, very helpful. Uh, Depending on whether he's in a rush or not, you know, Roger will add some flourishes, some grace notes to the conversation that are personal, kind, that go beyond professional. And those are always appreciated. And what an amazing thing to be able to say that you have, that you can do that with Roger Penske and he reciprocates. 
That's Roger Penske, right? Billionaire upon billionaire, owns half the planet, owns everything we love in the sport, super guy of power and control and influence and so on and so forth. You call Alex Zanardi, who, while doesn't have the billions and doesn't have the influence, is, as you mentioned, Paul, considered a hero. So where Roger is all about stature, earned stature, it's what, 16, 17 Borg-Warner trophies, wins at the 500, you know, again, you're, you're talking to one of the all-time greats of team owners and also a very powerful man. And so folks like that aren't always accommodating of you as an individual, recognize you as an individual, and apply those grace notes as such. Roger does. That's amazing. Zanardi, when we are on the phone, or in person, but we don't get to see him as much, so I'll just stick with on the phone. This man's a legend, a hero, uh, someone that for... Almost anybody who knows his name and knows who he is, I'm sure ranks as a massive inspiration in life. You want to know the guy who doesn't know that, who it doesn't register with, really, and has had no influence on who he is in terms of importance and anything else? It's Alex Anardi. So when I am on the phone with Alex, and again, it doesn't happen as often as I would like or should, but when he and I are on the phone, it's never a five-minute conversation. It's, it's a half-hour minimum. He's the only guy, Paul, and dear family listening, he's the only guy that I speak to, that I interview, young driver, old driver, team owner of anybody who is somewhat embarrassed and you could tell is blushing a bit on the other end of the phone and thanks you for calling and speaking with him and having an interest in him and wanting to know his thoughts about something or wanting him to talk about some amazing thing he did that we all remember and it's burned into our memories and we cherish it today. Like no time has passed. And the guy on the other line is like someone who just can't really process the kindness coming his way. How beautiful is that, Paul? How amazing is that? Here is someone who, on the surface, you would think, ha ha, look at me, I'm the freaking man. He is thankful for your interest in wanting to talk to him. (laughs) (laughs) It's the most beautiful absurdity I know of. In my professional life, calling Alex will have him thanking me. And I'm going, what are you talking about? I would pay you a thousand dollars a minute if that's what you told me it cost happily. Uh, That's who he is. And it's not fake. It's not putting on airs. 
there's none of that. And I'm not saying he doesn't have an ego. We're talking about as a driver, as an athlete, of course he does. You don't win like he did and pull off the passes he did without an ego. But this isn't talking to the ego. This is talking to the man. And the fact, Paul, that he is that sweet and that humble and that seemingly honored, it just doesn't compute. It really doesn't because I'm on the end of the phone and I'm sure this is the same way for Robin Miller, David Malsher, you name it. Any of my other friends, reporter types, we're on the other end going, I can't believe I get to talk to Alex Zanardi. I can't believe this man has picked up the phone <laughs> and hasn't said, don't ever call me again. Click. I can't right. So there's hero worship involved, even though, you know, we're professionals and we're trying to put on, you know, the face of the voice of a professional. Do you come on, man? We're just puddles talking to him. We're just little melty puddles of people talking to someone who has done more and achieved more than we ever will represents more, who has the heart and the passion and the love that is just eternal all these things in one man and they 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 just add up to something that is incalculable and so you get on the phone with the guy paul or get to see him in person and it's just kind of bashful <sighs> it's nothing like it there's no one like alex zanardi there really isn't that gets said about a lot of people look a little closer. You probably find eh, there's a couple people like folks where you say there's nobody like them. This guy truly no one like him. And I just can't believe that he's the one who's thankful. Uh, it's the other way around. And I just try and tell him like, look, I love you. And I say this with all love. Shut up. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, man. Uh, he is a gift we almost don't deserve at times, Paul. And I don't know if everyone knows that enough. So I need to do a better job of making sure more people know that about him. So there you go. Uh, Robbie, you asked for my pick for the most iconic Zanardi drive uh, other than the pass. He says, for me, I think it's Cleveland 97. Um, when he had to come from the back of the field. Yeah, uh, I'm there with you on that one. Um, Cleveland's pretty hard to top. JJ Gertler, how you doing, buddy? Says, sorry, it's been a tough week to come up with something light. Ending with this morning's news from the NASCAR garage. Says, so let's have a loud cheer of Forza Zanardi and cross everything we got on our bodies for a good outcome. Oh, amen to that. Amen to that. Um, yeah. I wish I had more to offer than what was on the printed page. I've, I've had a number of folks reach out and ask, you know, hey, what's really going on? And to my knowledge, what's been shared is the real deal. Um, there was some, you know, private 
intel that came in not too long after the crash, which remained private, it all lined up with what has been published. So we know in some cases there's an intentional under-reporting of truth. Uh, To my awareness, that is not the case so far with uh, our man, Mr. Zanardi. All right, where are we going to go next? Uh, Now that we've cleared our first main topic, a guy in a grumpy bear suit, also known as at Daruslar on Twitter. Hey there. Do you think that recent spikes in COVID cases in some states will cause a new round of event cancellations and delays? Well, think is the operative word here. Do I think? Well, as a non-medical expert and pretty much a non-expert of everything, it'd be really hard to say. I think just as a human looking at data where boy, it sure seems like there are some worrying spikes in a number of States where IndyCar is meant to head. Um, I'll also throw an IMSA as well. I think that if this, the spikes happened a month ago, we probably would not have, unshut we probably wouldn't have done as much getting back to normal life if the trend continues i would say it would certainly give us a reason for pause where i believe the answer is going to fall and it doesn't make me super happy but it's just having to look at reactions from a number of states there seems to be a growing what's the word fed upness <laughs> not a, not a not a word or phrase but there just seems to be a growing amount of tired of the coronavirus the corolla virus i should say i'm tired of being tired about the corolla virus i am tired of the limitations it's be it's placing on my life Uh, I'm not wearing a mask. I'm not wearing gloves. You can go to hell. Uh, We're going to get back to normal life. And if you're at risk or whatever, well, that's your problem. Stay out of our way. I'm not saying that's happening in every state. I'm just saying that we're seeing this become more of a position uh seemingly by each day and so there seems to be a belligerence that is beating out science uh real science and not political opinion not politically skewed science but just straight up normal science no republican no just no political affiliation just scientists saying hey the numbers tell us they're going up in these states and as people are coming back together and congregating and not wearing masks and not doing these things and flipping the the bird to the corolla virus kind of as we expected we're seeing spikes and the spikes spikes can stay up (laughs) and not just be a spike but actually stay high and flatten but the curve's not flat and low it's flat and high if 
changes aren't made. So that's my concern that I think we're going to see some states where we play just say, hey, whatever. Uh, we're going back. We're, we're going to get back to life. And COVID's COVID. Uh, protect yourselves, but we're getting back to life. So I think that is going to stifle uh, what might be situations where indeed racing should not take place. Congregating should not take place. It's a guess, but I'm just having to look at the fact that anyone who wakes up and looks at the information, you can see that, yeah, it seems to be coming up, uh, especially in places that are getting back to normal life, even though the virus never went away. And there seems to be a more pervasive belief that, well, whatever, um, we're just going to do it. And so racing, and I, I won't limit this to IndyCar, um, racing, as I've seen it, is not really trying to do the independently responsible thing. Hey, yes, we've gotten the green light to go to this state and hold a race. But, boy, we see COVID's just freaking off the charts. So we're not going to go despite having the green light. Uh, that's not so much in racing's DNA. Should it be? If we're responsible folks, yes. Is racing known for its responsibility? Eh, maybe not. So... Can, can't answer it, but I can tell you that the two trends that are jumping out here lead me to believe, um, even if it seems like we should because things are on the increase, I don't know if racing or IndyCar is going to say, no, nah, we're going we're gonna to stop because we believe the problem is too great in your state. I'm going to take a sip here before my voice explodes. I'm having my first Starbucks drink, by the way. It might be of the year, even though there is a Starbucks right next to where we live. And I do mean, like, walk out the door and it's right there. Um, yeah. And I got to tell you, uh, I'm, I've been a Frappuccino guy for 20 years. Um, I haven't had one for about six months and was craving it like you wouldn't believe. So didn't really have one, wasn't a big deal. But then, especially when the Corolla virus hit, I'm like, oh man, I was really starting to get in the mood for one when it started to warm up. And well, no, it's not an option. Well, the one right next to us opened up and we actually, I bought two on Friday coming home and a uh, little bit of an incident. Mrs. Pruitt was holding on to them and uh, turned away and didn't notice that they actually fell from her hands uh, fell from her lap and uh, splattered all over the elevator. So, yeah, that was a bit of a scramble to get her out, clean everything up, then clean up the elevator. So I tried to have one over the weekend when it was 9,000 degrees outside. It was about 90 here today. So I uh, decided to have one. And I'll tell you, after dreaming of such things for six months or however long and finally getting one, I can tell you good it's really good so i made it more up in my mind than it actually was so uh yeah i don't know anticipation does something to a guy's brain we're gonna move to two questions we have here one from emerson layman 
Emerson, if you sent in questions before, I apologize. My brain is, is farting as usual, and I am struggling to recall. And also my pal, John Wonar, Wojnar, Wojnar, who lets me just say his last name in reverse, John Ranjow, because that one, it's really hard for me to mess up. Interesting topic here. One that, boy, some folks really aren't fond of. Emerson kicks off by saying, Marshall, are you satisfied with the response from IndyCar regarding the social issues taking place in our country right now? Uh, and then John has a, a more detailed question. A similar topic. Satisfied? I would answer that by saying I have the letters E and D at the end of my feelings. It would not be satisfied. It would be disappointed. Uh, I'll bark, no bite. I'll talk, no action. Um, not a lot of talk, frankly, and definitely no action. Did see that IndyCar today posted something standing in unity and unison with NASCAR and Bubba Wallace over this latest incident uh, that I thought showed an amount of awareness that I wasn't exactly sure was possessed by them. So that was a pleasant surprise can tell you that I was so that I was pleased to see that impressed me impressed me because my expectations were so low because here we are Thursday is I won't say the word anniversary because we sure as hell aren't celebrating Thursday, June 25th will be one month since Mr. George Floyd was murdered one month spoken about on the show and in print about a number of things related to this, especially in the week to two weeks that followed Mr. Floyd's murder, how social activism and uprising or just social awareness speaking out in particular in social media was what, what was taking place was Emerson is cracked open here. NASCAR said something, IndyCar said something, a number of drivers, mostly NASCAR. It's a question here. So NASCAR has a black driver. IndyCar does not. IMSA does not. Uh, pretty much every other series does not. NHRA, excluding the NHRA, Ernie Francis Jr. is in Trans Am, thankfully. By and large, if we're talking the toppiest of top-tier sport motorsports, well, curious here, Emerson, why NASCAR? This is before the noose incident, before the Confederate flag stuff. Curious why NASCAR and NASCAR's drivers and NASCAR as an organization been the ones to jump up and be so forward acting and thinking after Mr. Floyd's murder. Is it simply because they have a black driver? If it is, seems a little simple, but okay. 
I guess I'm thinking the inverse here, Emerson. Is the reason IndyCar drivers, barring the one that I opened the show talking about, obviously, but it's the reason IndyCar drivers have, pardon my French, haven't done a fucking thing because we don't have a black driver in the series? Is that it? If that's the case, it's the most asinine thing possible. There are black people in the IndyCar paddock. There aren't tons, obviously. But I gotta believe, speaking strictly about IndyCar, since that's what Emerson's asking about, I've gotta believe we are more evolved. We're evolved enough to where we don't have to have a black kid, a black guy, a black girl, whatever, in one of our cars for that to be the thing that has the rest of the drivers go, oh, we should stand up and do something and support something. If a hate crime took the life of a Japanese-American person, would we need to have a Japanese-American driver for IndyCar drivers and teams and the series itself? Team owners, managers, sponsors to feel the urge and feel the call to do something? Can name any ethnicity dash American. Would a hate crime or brutal murder of a woman that caused the country to rise up be the thing that for the first time caused drivers and the people who own the series and the people who own the teams? to want to do something to help women's causes provided there was a woman racing in the series full time. Like that's, what's been floating around in my head heavily Emerson the last, I don't know, however many days, but the, is it just that we don't have our own Bubba that seemingly no one gives a, Again, earmuffs. No one gives a shit enough to do something. Like, really do something, right? As I've said more than once, put down your phones. Put down your little social media device and actually do something? I don't know. I mean, I'm... (laughs) I don't know. I was about to make this personal, but that's... That wouldn't work. Um, I'll just share this. And maybe it is personal and maybe it's going to come across as me trying to say something nice about myself. It's not. It's just I'm the only me that I know. So I'm the only one living my life with experiences to share directly. I'm not a woman that's never stopped me from doing things to try and help women period, but also donate volunteer, 
do something. All right. I'm not a woman before I was married. I it doesn't matter. It really hasn't been. There's no real change here. Uh, I'm not this color. I'm not that color. I'm not whatever. I don't have to be those things. Again, not a surprise that African-American topics are one that hit very close to home, but they aren't the only topics that matter. They aren't the only things that inspire hashtag me personally to try and do things to help. So just using the things that I see and act upon as a guide, I don't make a lot of money, y'all. I don't have a lot of influence. I can't pick up the phone, as I explained last week, I can't pick up the phone and get a lot of people to act that I think would be really beneficial to act, to do things to help others. I can use what little influence i have to try and connect people and pull a few strings to try and make the machine work on a bigger level but you know i do what i can within my means i know many of you do the same as well hey man i times are tight but i can donate five bucks to help this person or this cause coming out of the grocery store and there's the same old homeless woman <sighs> went in to get a sandwich from the deli. Well, I can't afford to buy two, but I could pick up some fruit to go with it. And on the way out, gave it to her. I could do, again, these are all the things that y'all do normally. So I I have this line that I try and manage Emerson and it's a complicated one because I'm not hired to be a guy who barks at drivers or team owners or whomever for not doing an effing thing when they possess all the money and all the power and all the influence to do so, but for reasons unknown, choose not to. That's not what I'm hired to do. So that's why this little podcast, which I own, I'm one of one. It's mine. Nobody else owns it. It's just me. You know, I can complain to management, but it's just yelling at myself. So here I tend to share with you some of the things that don't make it into print or video because, again, that's not mine. Hired to provide what it is that I'm asked to provide. But I'll tell you, just as a guy who happens to work in the sport that I love, talking about IndyCar on a weekly show driven by your questions. Emerson, yours here. I have been more disappointed in IndyCar, and I'll throw an IMSA as well because a disappointment is equal. I've been more disappointed in these two series over the past what is now, we're a couple days away from that one-month marker. I've been more disappointed in them in their lack of anything substantial, meaningful, or action-related than at almost any time I can recall in my modern profession as in the media and possibly all times before that as well. This, we are, we have been 
sadly gifted something with the multiple murders of black men and black women over the past couple of months with Mr. Floyd's being the one that lit the match. And that is to act. That is to do something when it racing has never done it before. It's never given a crap was racing there during the civil rights movement. The opposite, (laughs) the exact opposite run down the list of folks that have been killed, raped, shot, lit on fire, hung, anything over decades and decades. Racing's never been there. Never said a word, never cared. And so here we are presented with this green light where a surprising number of good folks are asking actors, musicians, politicians, average people, co-workers, the companies they work for, the sporting leagues that they follow, the athletes, where do you fall? What side of history are you on? Right side or wrong side? We're not going to let you fall back and not answer. What are you doing? What's your contribution? How are you going to make the world better for everybody? And sadly, crickets. So personal frustration expressed here, Emerson. Personal disappointment here. Doesn't change the fact that I still have to do my job and write stories and do all kinds of things. And in the case of a driver or two that I've asked, hey, could you be interested in doing something, whatever, significant or whatever, big, small, just doing something, using your platform and the lack of response, a lack of, you know, on a personal level, whatever I thought about them as individuals is about as low as you can get. Does that change the fact that I still need to ask clean questions about, hey, so great run to third place in qualifying. Looked like the car had a little too much understeer on corner exit and the hairpin. Uh, Was that a contributor to why you missed pole? Uh, Still got to be that guy because that's what I do for a living. But uh, the where you stand in my estimation man to man yeah that's that's been really disappointing as well emerson to find out man i really thought you thought more of you thought you would have been there thought you could have been more and always while while always reserving the opportunity that maybe there'll be a surprise John, you said MPM warily and somberly writing this just as I've learned about the noose placed in Bubba Wallace's garage. My question is, is there anything we as fans can do to help make this hypothetical racers against racism Cleveland summit a reality? Can we donate or campaign or fundraise? It's clear we all need to take an active role fighting against racism in our beloved sport from the top series presidents to the fans alike uh, for all of us. We need to be commenting here. He says, we all have to help if we want to end it. 
um, and also kindly says, as always big prayers for you and your wife and to your friend Alex Inardi too. We don't have that thing yet, John, um, that place where you can donate in our sport that is going to be something of change. That's It's a void that's been exposed or highlighted or something. Exposed sounds like it was a secret. I don't mean it to make it sound like that. Uh, this is a, an area where, you know, some good work could be done. I am going to keep talking to people and asking. Um, at the series president level, to the drivers, to you name it, what can be done? Uh, I, as I've mentioned, I don't have much influence over anything nor do I have the ability to spend things into existence. But I am one of the more... <sighs> Perseverance is a friend. And I, I will absolutely keep pushing. And, and I have been, man. This isn't... Anyways, I will continue. Your topic about the, uh, the hypothetical Cleveland Summit. So... Yeah, reached out to a very senior person in IndyCar saying, hey, uh, here's a link to the article that I wrote. I don't know if you saw it. I don't know if it interests you at all. I would not want to presume that it does. If by chance you did read it or might want to now, this is something I'd like to see if we could make happen. Knowing that here, July 4th, at Indianapolis Motor Speedway, we will have the NTT IndyCar Series and the NASCAR Cup Series coming together for the very first time. Drivers from both series within a quarter mile of each other. Could there be a conference room? Could there be a garage? Could there be something, if there was a willingness from some of the drivers, uh, to get together and talk about this Cleveland Summit concept. How can we as high-profile athletes happen to be Caucasian, how could we pool our resources and influence to make a real change when it comes to equal opportunity, stopping brutality and racism and so on? And got a response back saying, Thank you, yes, aware of the Cleveland Summit, so on, thank you. Somewhat brief. Then the rest of the reply, which was the meat of the reply, went into all the ways how that could never happen there because of social distancing, and this paddock must remain separate from that paddock, and we can't do this, we can't do that, and this isn't, and the can't, 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 no, 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 can't, and I'm thinking, okay, trying to float an idea here we could do something good um i get the concern about cross contamination again i don't know if people from the south are magically dirtier than folks from indycar or vice versa but okay again i get it um no ideas you know hey we could set up a zoom thing where the nascar drivers are in one room and the indycar drivers are in the other room and you know they're 
a hundred feet away from each other and they got bullhorns. I don't know. <laughs> we got remote control cars and we just zoom little notes back and forth. I don't know. It was really just a topic of wow. The one and only time I know of for now that we're going to have kind of the two main bases of drivers I was thinking of for this potential Cleveland summit of, of driver related activism to help in this area. And again, if, if the response was a hundred words, you know, 20 of them were about the Cleveland summit. The other 80 were just very dictatorial of how it wasn't possible and how it couldn't and this and couldn't and can't and couldn't and can't like, okay. Um, I don't know, John, this stuff burns me out pretty quickly. Um, and then I need to recharge and I apologize if you hear that weariness in my voice, but, uh, man, when we want or need a change to an arrow kit, folks will seemingly fight until they're dying breath to get it. And you can't stop them. And we're going to move heaven and earth to change this thing. And now we've got five days of, of private testing allowed instead of four. And we just went to the mountaintop and we threatened and we, all these things, man, we got that extra day of testing. Uh, we, uh, now we finally, we can make our own radiators. We had to pull teeth and just bare knuckle brawls, but we finally made it happen. I think of these things, John, and I'm like, man, it just tells you what's important to people. And the thing that's most important to me is clearly not most important to many of those who work in the sport that I love and cover. I shouldn't say many to those that wield the most power and influence and it's other people. And by chance, other people that don't look like them. But we can make our own radiators, man. I'm going to take a little break in my brain, take a sip, and we're going to try and get back. And I'm going to be maybe a little less frustrated with life. Okay. That didn't work. I got to take another sip. (laughs) Two questions on the same topic. An answer that's going to disappoint you, I'm sure. One from Chapin17. Hey there. Thank you again. And our man, Ryan Terpstra. Ryan, I appreciate you. Chapin17 opens with saying, After St. Pete got canceled, you mentioned that there would be something crazy that would cause a stir, and you said to look out for it in Texas, but I didn't realize or see anything different. Can you say it from what it was? Ryan, similar. I feel like this is a calm before the storm. Um... This is in the topic of the start of the season. I'm guessing the dust-up or whatever confrontation you thought may happen in St. Pete did not happen at Texas. As you indicated, we would know about it. Yes, I'm curious, and no, I don't expect you to share it if it didn't actually happen because you're not a pot stirrer. Well, that's not true, but I I like that funny close there, Ryan. I was texting 
with the driver in question over the weekend. Never thought to ask about this, ask for an update if it was going anywhere or if it had been dropped. I would assume, which is making an ass out of you and me, I would assume it has gone nowhere and it has been dropped. Maybe let's do this because I feel like time and distance is needed so that it's true safe. I might not ever mention the driver's name, but at least mentioning the topic, um, I'm going to wait till the end of the season. So if you want to bring this back, throw this back after the season, I'll get into it. Then you probably figure it out, even though I'm not going to like name names like that, because again, I don't want to, this could do, could do harm to the driver if this came out and that isn't something I'm going to do. And so I want to wait till the season's over, uh, see where that driver is at, whether it's same team, different team, blah, 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 um, get a feeling. And then even then I might not, I don't know, but, uh, I'll probably need to ask them beforehand if, uh, it could be mentioned without it blowing up their world. Okay. Uh, where are we going to go here? We're going to try and pick up steam a little bit as we cross the, we're a little bit past the one hour threshold here. Um, derp de force. You asked a question last week about caution periods and such, and you're back with a follow-up, uh, about a quick ordering of the field after a caution period in your answer about the time it takes to sort things out. Are you saying that they don't have recorded telemetry data that would show at any given point in time, what uh, what was the running order? Um, so this is just a little quirk about me. The are you saying that argument in a question, it always makes me cringe. If I said it, then that's what I said. If I didn't say it, then that's not what I said. So I never said anything about not having recorded telemetry data. To, uh, so no. Uh I'll I'll reiterate this quickly. There's no professional racing series that I know of that relies on a single system for determining the order of the field for a restart. Uh, There's usually multiple, not only timing and scoring, but also, again, it could be video. It could be something called in from a corner worker. Realize your question was coming off of Texas, so I realize that you're talking primarily about ovals here. There are multiple forms of input and checks and balances, rechecks as well. So to my knowledge, IndyCar nor any other professional series has a magic, oh, a caution happened, put this car here, 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 everything's great, go back to racing. There is human interaction, human review, looking at data, obviously, but there is human checks and balances in place, reviewing and making sure that everything is correct. At times, you will get a team, you get a drive, you know, the team says, hey, race control says you need to, whatever, fall back two spots, go up, whatever, do something. And if it's to the disadvantage of a driver, it's not uncommon to have that driver say, yeah, oh, 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 wait a minute. So-and-so was passing me under just as we went yellow, and they're in front of me now, and I, I don't move me, move him or her or whatever. 
you get the team angle in too, which can complicate things and add to things. But the the thing that might be getting missed here is this is not a computational process in and of itself where something poops out a little card that says, here's the order, put them in it, and go back to green. There is human review of multiple forms of information and confirmation that those things are accurate and possibly the complications that come in from teams that push back, ask for things to be checked again. Now my driver swears they were, are they right where they should be? You shouldn't move them, blah, 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 that add to these things. Um, you close here by saying, me personally, I think it's a relatively simple technical problem that can be solved. So that's a part here that I would just maybe sit on. This is not the relatively simple technical problem that you maybe think it is. And since we don't have robots and computers running the racing series, we have people that are trying to confirm this and make sure that there are no inaccuracies happening. This is not a tech problem. Uh, This is trying to be accurate uh, at times when things can be complicated. And at a place like Texas where laps go by pretty quickly, uh, even pace laps don't take all that long. Um, I can tell you having spent a year as the chief racing steward of a smaller local road racing series out here in the Bay Area, you wish that there almost was that Skynet AI system that became self-aware and made everything super simple. Uh, it ain't. Uh, and you close by saying thank you. All the best to you and your wife. Thank you so much. Uh, let's go to 25 tab. I'm not familiar with you 25 tab. So if this is your first time, thank you. This is Robin Miller. He or she says Robin Miller has been mentioning that he is doubtful that IndyCar will be returning to circuit of the Americas again. In his June 10th mailbag, he elaborated a little bit on this saying he heard that Coda is having financial troubles and that they had lost money in the 2019 race. I thought the 2019 race seemed like a modest success, but I don't know if it matter fell short of financial expectations. He thinks IndyCar will get dropped as they focus their resources on the F1 race. So wondering if you had heard similar things, what are your thoughts about IndyCar's future Coda? Doing my best to remember, I believe when the Coda race was announced, probably on this little podcast here, I seem to recall saying I doubted it would last more than two to three years. And that wasn't because I disliked Coda, wanted it to fail or any of those things, but having been there for three different four different sports car series uh what v8 supercars grand am uh grand am was it grand am again i'm i'm brain farting there grand am american Le Mans series and the world endurance championship all have failed all have failed to draw a meaningful crowd there and in some instances it was heavily contributed to by just a by piss poor promotions um triple p piss poor promotions coming to a track near you terrible by the track by the series and in some cases i saw 
significant amount of money being spent, at least for the size of the series, to let folks know that they're there. We're coming. Be here, please. We're buying ads and we're putting up billboards and we're like, really, we're making a real effort to let you know we're going to be here. It's going to be cool. We're going to be fast. Come watch us. And nobody showed up. I mean, whatever the numbers were, 5,000, something like that. You know, you get the, oh, there's 19 million people. Sure. Uh, When I take my glasses off and punch myself in the eyes and I see birds flying around and stars and then squint, yeah, maybe it's 19 million. But when my head clears and I put my glasses back on and I look up and turn one and driver's right and those grandstands and yeah, i don't know there's like maybe 500 people barely full there's some people on the grass but yeah there's not a ton and then i hop in a golf cart and ride around the track to shoot them photographs because i'm also a photographer and i go through all 20 corners and i'm going well yeah, there's really not a lot of people here and there's not a lot of people there um that's what led me 25 tab to say if it ain't F1 and it ain't MotoGP, uh, history has shown that money is not being made by the track or the series, and this is not sustainable. And so IndyCar, which is more popular than all of those sports car series combined in the States, uh, is a great thing, but it still doesn't add up to enough. And so for what we had for the crowd at the inaugural Lone Star IndyCar, whatever it was called. I thought it was a very decent crowd. I don't know what the number was, 10,000 maybe? I don't know, it would 15, but somewhere. Still, it's one of those venues, 25 tab, that, unless it's full, looks terrible. Think of pole day for the Indy 500 in modern times. I don't know how many people we get, you know, 10,000, 20,000. I don't know what the number is, but in a place with all those grandstands and most of the grandstands, absolutely empty. Even if it's 25,000, right? I think I'm dreaming there, but even if it's 25,000, that's almost the size of the town I grew up in. Belmont, California, 32,000 people, right? That's a, like a, um, miles long and people right it wasn't a small town it wasn't out it's right here in the bay area Thirty-two thousand people you throw thirty-two thousand people you throw my entire hometown uh where i spent most of my life growing up into the indianapolis motor speedway on on day of qualifying or whatever you know what it looks terrible because you gotta have the two to three hundred thousand to really flesh it out. Code is the same way. That kind of thing is telling. So it needed to be semi-full. It was nothing close. Uh, I do. I really like the place. I mean, I was there before. I think before it even opened. Um, been there fifteen times at least. Uh, a lot of non-race stuff too. Been there for. Really enjoy it. Can tell you that. Oh, it's not necessarily run. At least from the infrastructure and marketing and communication side. Oh, it's it's not one of the good ones. It's really not. So if there was a track 
on the NICAR calendar where you're like, boy, all it needs is excellent communications, marketing to just really let the local area know there's something to come out and see. And that act alone would be what made the event a success. Oh boy. Uh, that thing would be shutting down immediately. So there's been so much turnover there. I'd say it's pretty hard in that regard. So this all comes back to, I didn't expect it to last long when it was announced. Wish that it would. IndyCar is just not big enough of a property in terms of popularity to get the gates just being overrun with fans. Therefore, it was never going to be financially sustainable. Even if IndyCar, which may have picked up some of the promotion tab, paid for some of the stuff and or cut a big old bargain for the track to host it, whatever happened there, it was never one that was going to just be an explosively popular thing because nothing is there unless it's F1 or has been MotoGP. So if we were to learn that we're going back next year, I'd be very surprised. I'd like to go. <laughs> it's just, uh, oh boy, we'd be defying things. I'll tell you another thing I've heard. Doesn't mean it's real. Does not mean it's real. But I've heard that as part of uh, being willing to hold a race without fans, which is a way to not earn any money uh, for the folks at Texas Motor Speedway, some of these things about two races in Texas, maybe even the... Texas not being the race immediately following Indy. Um, that's been Detroit for a little while now. Maybe some of these things were fixed as a result of being willing to swallow hard uh, by holding a race with no fans. Not saying it's accurate, just saying i've heard that more than once from some folks that i don't consider to be too crazy in the head so again if we were to get to next year and find out there's no coda race and texas is what follows the indianapolis 500 it wouldn't shock me daniel engleton how you doing daniel marshall do you know how much involvement roger penske now has in his own indycar team uh, I'm aware in race day in the weekends, uh, he isn't near his race stands anymore, but during the week, how much input does he have? Uh, I would say a lot. I mean, he still owns the team. It's still his business. Those are his people. Um, you know, I know that he calls drivers and talks to them like he normally does. Um, we can't change the fact that he owns Penske Racing. Uh, and employs people, and it's the thing that he loves. Him being involved in a competitive aspect, I think of in racing terms. There is a motor race happening this weekend. What things is Roger capable of doing as an individual to alter the competitive balance in a favorable way towards his team? Eh. he's not a mechanic so he can't put the cars together better than everyone else he is not an engineer so he can't make engineering calls better than anyone else he is not a driver not a spotter strategy is the one area that he was able to have a direct 
individual influence on the outcome of a race. Not speaking out of turn here. I've said it on the show before. Prior to stepping down from that in-weekend team-based role, when he was steering a lot of things with the team, shaping when they went out to qualify here, there, you know, when do we do this, how do we do this, and also the race strategy. I mean, the race strategy side, I would say, on a few too many occasions in recent years, uh, I just remember having mental notes during whatever race, like, oh, hmm, yeah, I don't know if I would have gone that way. Uh, when it happened, not just afterwards, not just the hindsight stuff, but like, huh, all right, maybe you saw something that I'm not. And no one else saw as well. And, yeah, just a number of times, Daniel, where it was like, oh, I don't know. I mean, sometimes strategists have bad streaks, if not bad years. And it just started to feel like Roger was not as crisp as he once was. And, again, nothing to do with age, just uh, seemed to be a little bit off there. So other than shaping, using a lot of the crazy institutional knowledge that he has from – 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, right? You know, when Tim Sindrick was in diapers. Um, you know, it's not as if he can't or doesn't or won't. That stuff's not disappearing uh, on a race weekend, big event. Other obvious point to offer here, Daniel. Most of the folks that work at Team Penske and IndyCar, especially in the senior type roles, president, team manager, technical director, even the crew chiefs, engineers. They've been going into battle with Roger for a while. They know his moves. They know his mindset. They know his expectations. So Roger not being there to do those same exact things, say the same things, yeah, it wouldn't hurt if he was still there doing that. But I also don't think, Daniel, that there is going to be any real difference. Tim Sindrick has gone into enough Indy 500s with Roger Penske to know the flow, to know the approach, to know what Roger might be thinking in whatever situation. That doesn't mean they would always do what Roger wants. It's part of why he likes Tim and why Tim is uh, given so much authority. Uh, Tim is brutally good at what he does. Like, no joke good at what he does. Uh, Let's not underestimate how much of Team Penske's modern success is as a result of that man's influence and imprint on the team. Roger's the overall architect, but man, this is the guy building that thing every year and making it what it is. Um, but they've done this enough with Roger. All the senior folks who really set policy, set culture, they've done this enough times with Roger that if you subtract him all of a sudden in 2020 because he's bought the series and bought the Speedway, it's not like they don't know how to go do the things the way they've done it before when he was there. Um, that's where, again, getting into this unfair advantage and conflict of interest you could (laughs) you could send roger penske to the moon do you do we really think team penske 
will not be vying for pole position at the Indy 500 and be absolutely in the hunt for the win and setting front-running pace almost everywhere we go and vying for yet another championship? It absolutely will, <laughs> with, with or without Roger Penske. Send him to the moon, put him in prison, put him in a submarine. I don't care where. Cut off all communication for the year, two years, three years. Do we really think? Heck, he has no influence on IndyCar or the Speedway as well. Let's truly just take the man out of our lives. Do we really think Team Penske stops winning? (laughs) Are you kidding me? So that's where, again, man, and I'm not saying you're questioning any of this. I'm just saying, th- throwing this out because it's been a thing that continues. Oh, it's a conflict of interest. Come on, man. Think through this. Let, let's just be real. Roger Penske could disappear, join, become a Buddhist monk, vow a silence. He's gone. Guess who's probably on pole or the front row at the 500, one or two of his drivers. Guess who's in the lead pack of two or three drivers going for the win? It's a Penske car. Guess who's one or two of their three drivers is going to be in the top two, three, or four in the championship, if not winning it. It's going to be a Penske driver. Come on, man. So, uh, yeah. Now, I'll, I'll throw in... I think maybe this week I've been told Roger and I are going to record a a little, you know, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes, something podcast that'll become, I'm sure I'll spin a couple stories out of that too. But this is one of the questions, Daniel, I hope to remember to ask, Hey, so day to day, uh, what are the things you are no longer doing at team Penske that folks don't know about? So maybe that'll provide, uh, some insights from the man himself. Okay, we are uh, we're gonna rock and roll here, uh, and see how many we can get through. It is where are we at? It's nine twenty six p.m. Um, I haven't had breakfast, lunch, or dinner. I did have two Nature's Bakery breakfast bars, uh, one at I think twelve something, and one at five something. That's not good. I'm not winning in that regard. Uh, but I have maybe twenty more minutes before Mrs. Pruitt yells at me uh to get her actually she's already had dinner i take that back it's just mine she'll still yell at me just for fun because you know i need to get yelled at uh alexi rushko in the last miller's mailbag he rated the irls 96 through 1999 years as a kind of second class racing compared to the 2000s when cart teams began to switch to the irl yes after the split um irl had not so much technology or advanced cars and not so many famous drivers, but who cares? I liked it. I like oval racing. It was quite entertaining. What are your thoughts about the IRL racing in the 1990s? Well, I'll keep this one short, Alexi, because I've spoken about it ad nauseum. I was there, uh, was part of the start of the 97 IRL season all the way through 2001. Also had a year of cart in there too. Um, and was all cart before with, again, not working in cart, but part of the, what we would say the road to Indy today with the various ladder series that were attached to it and traveled with. So, um, yeah, Robin Miller, thousand percent correct. Uh, there were some entertaining races for sure, 
because the cars were so dumbed down and so heavily restricted that they were on top of each other. Uh, we never really used the term, to my knowledge, pack racing beforehand. This is an IRL term. Uh, the cars were, again, so equal that, yeah, the races, I were certainly some of them were very entertaining. There just wasn't a lot of excellence there. I mean, I'd say so if there was. It was a lot of people, uh, a lot of crews that were, you know, how's this? In the cart days, a lot of the crews and teams were the ones that you never heard of or followed. You know, the ones who were fighting to get into the race and make it in 32nd place on the grid kind of stuff. And you go, oh, okay. I mean, look, what the IRL did is it gave a lot more people a chance. You know, it's just like a second professional football league, the XFL. You go, hey, have I heard of most of the players? No, couple. Uh, Cardale Jones, quarterback. Oh, okay. Yeah, I kind of remember that guy, but who, who's he throwing to? Who's snapping the ball? Who's, I don't know. But cool. Well, job opportunities, lots more. You've, you've doubled the market size. Cool. Uh, would I rather watch a proper NFL game versus an XFL game? Yeah. For hashtag me personally, I kind of do hold value in who's putting on the show. And if it's just kind of random people who, uh, maybe they were really good at doing something else, but don't really stand out in this new thing going around in circles and really tightly controlled indie cars. Eh, I was there. <laughs> saw tons of it firsthand and yeah, it was compelling at times, but not always, uh, not as much as I'd hoped. So, uh, yeah, once the cart teams came in, quality of everything went up. Professionalism went up. Uh, the, the random teams where again, just based on merit, would they, would the same people with a cart indie car, be able to qualify for a cart IndyCar race on speed, oval, or road or street course? Eh, maybe not so many. Um, it's just what it was. And it's not being mean. It's not picking sides. It's not it's just, Alexi, it's what it was. So if you don't care who you're watching and you just like to see folks kicking a ball or hitting a ball or throwing a ball or going around in circles and cars and you just don't care who's doing it. There's not much to complain about with the IRL, but if you're someone who does put stock in quality and knowing that you're seeing the best do it, and it's a battle among the best and truly the best, best, best comes out on top. Uh, you might not have gotten everything you'd hoped there uh matt anderson hey matt marshall do you have any idea of how much of an annual indycar budget goes towards making the car and the team competitive as opposed to simply putting the car on track in other words somebody simply wanted to show up and put a car on track for all the sessions in a single season with a minimum amount of crew needed to keep the car running not necessarily top flight engineers just capable ones using an off-the-shelf shock package no wind tunnel or shaker rig no pr marketing how much would it cost to simply show up and run Huh. It's a interesting question, Matt. Uh, so your engine lease for the season, uh, this season 
I'm not sure what it's going to be since there's some adjustments, but in a normal year, it's about 1.2 million. As I understand, the Firestone tire lease is a million ish, could be a little bit over a million. So you're already there at 2.2, 2.3, depending on cars and what you would have to buy. Uh, Let's say you had to start from scratch instead of having something that was already amortized and, you know, had been paid for. You know, a fully fleshed, ready-to-go, brand-new Delar, brand-new everything. Um, I at least remember when they were being built originally, folks were putting those numbers uh, all together on the ground, ready for an engine at 700-ish, um, right? You've got trucks and transporters. You've got staff, right? You've got 15-ish people that you need to pay, um, you know, some of those folks are definitely fifty, sixty thousand dollar a year people. You've got some that are over a hundred, not a ton, but uh, then you have all the travel. Uh, you've got your, you know, paying to enter races and such. Uh, you've got your crash damage. It's not hard to see how before you spend money on the go fast stuff and top flight engineers. Although I'm not sure why anyone would do this because you'd suck and you'd be at the back of the grid. But anyways, I'm guessing you could, and again, you've got what? Healthcare. (laughs) You've got lease. You've got a building. You've got, you know, a lot of the things involved with just a business. Uh, I'm guessing you could probably get away for four and a half to five, maybe four and a half. Uh, You know, most teams are asking six. Uh, minimum can do it for less but again you start shaving off things that make you better um i'm guessing you could probably do it in the four range if you had to um but i'm not sure why you would but interesting question uh i need a name please from reddit what are the ranges of downforce the cars are generating at different types of tracks and how do they compare to those oem aero kit days and is it realistic that the next series of engine and or aero regs could be designed to induce more lifting and or braking at large ovals? Oh boy, I really should have refreshed my memory on this one. I need a name, please. As I recall, at uh, the peak of manufacturer aero kit days, what are we talking? Like 58, 5,900 pounds, 5,800, 5,900 pounds of downforce? Um, I think we're now maxed out at like 4,800 maybe. Uh, I'm, I'm sure I'm off a little bit and I apologize. I just, it'd take me a little while to dig this up. Um, yeah, uh, the lifting and or breaking at large ovals. I love that idea, uh, in theory. I just don't know, you know, it, it always sounds awesome. And I say it from time to time. So this is not pushing back on you at all. This is pushing back on me. Um, I would say making big changes arrow wise and taking a bunch of arrow off of the cars. I don't know if that's the way anymore. Uh, of course you could, we can look back and say, what about the roadsters when they had zero down force and they were, you know, drifting through the corners and Parnelli Jones was a God. I, I say it totally agree. You're hundred percent, right? No argument. Eh, different times. Different cars, different tires, different aspect ratios, different everything. Uh, Slip angles, very different. The thing that I would love to see become the answer 
is to stick with a similar amount of downforce, hopefully knock some drag off the cars, uh, if that's possible with the next chassis, next everything. But that spike in horsepower is the thing that I hope creates this. So rather than make big changes to arrow and taking a ton of arrow off, you know, if you're showing up to turn one at Indy at 260 miles an hour <laughs> and you've done nothing to the downforce to bring that up to accommodate 260 through the corners, well, you kind of got to lift, if not break. And so I like the ideas, the idea of the cars going faster on the straights to necessitate slowing down on entry to the corners. Uh, that would be pretty awesome because that would bring back bigger visual differences in talent that would allow you to appreciate Tony Kanaan being a guy who can deal with oversteer on an oval, big oval like few others can uh, versus some others. You know, right now drivers are by and large at the Indy 500 flat, flat out the whole time or close enough. Again, if they're in traffic, we know they lift, but I'm just saying for the most part, they're full throttle almost the whole time around unless they have to lift due to someone being in the way or whatever it is. Um, I like the idea of everybody having to lift entering turn one and turn three period because you have to, and it's who's better and who has better car control, who can handle a car that's wiggling and moving more than you like. Cause you don't have enough downforce because you're going so quickly and you just have to manage scrubbing off that speed in a straight line and into the corner a little bit too. That's the thing that I love the idea of more than anything. Let's overpower these things so that folks have to not be flat, much less easy flat. Um, Mark Lachure, Lacour. I'm not sure how to pronounce your last name, Mark. I probably just butchered it, so I apologize. Says, hey, MP, looks like I'm late again. Says, I realize that some drivers are known under a nickname on the American circus. For example, Montoya got known in cart as Juan but he was called Juan Pablo in F1 and then JPM. VK is the most recent one. Any idea why? I get that Van Kalmtout is a mouthful for most, me included, but with a bit of practice. Uh, what would it take to say full names like AJ Foyt, for example, or J.R. Hildebrand? So thanks as always for your hard work. That's very kind of you. Uh, very kind. So as I understand on the Rena side, that was my man, our man, Anders Krohn suggesting to him that, hey, these Americans, like your host who murders last names every week, might struggle with Ven Kalmtout. So maybe the V and the K will turn that into VK. And there you go. So that's how I understand that happening. Uh, Montoya, good old Monterrier. I remember he and I were talking about this i think in 2014 at a test at sonoma maybe and it was the juan versus juan pablo and every story that i file that includes that man who i love i can tell you that most likely when you read it it says juan pablo montoya i never submit a story with his middle name included. Uh, it's just simply Juan Montoya. That gets added in for style or standardization or something because there's a belief 
that if you don't say Juan Pablo Montoya, folks won't know who you're talking about or will be jar. I don't know. But I can tell you that from the conversation he and I had about this very topic, which I just didn't, I never grasped at Sonoma in 2014, he said, yeah, I don't know either. I never, I never said, hi, I'm Juan Pablo Montoya. It's Juan Montoya. I didn't put it there. I didn't ask for anyone to put it there. I didn't tell anyone to put it there. But they started putting it there. And it's classic one. They, you know, them. They started putting there. I don't know why. It's stupid. Like, well, uh, I agree. Um, JPM, again, I don't think, you know, that's just a, a RHR, JPM, whatever. You know, that, that's not abnormal uh, to go with initials there. But, yeah, uh Juan Montoya is how I write his name and how I file it in every story. Um, It's one of those things where I think folks would know who he was if you didn't throw in the Pablo, but I can't tell you why we get the full Juan Pablo Montoya instead of just Juan Montoya. So I've just said that man's name too many times. Um... As for Jer Hildebrand, well, that's because his initials stand for, and it's a weird because it's normally with a G, but geriatric recalcitrant Hildebrand. That's his real name. Geriatric recalcitrant Hildebrand. I'd go with JR instead. Uh, all right, we are sweeping towards the finish line here. Cody Bray, Marshall, if you could take any two drivers. For the current IndyCar paddock to F1, who are you taking? Uh, that would be Scott Dixon, because I want to see what he can do. Because, as I've said, had he been able to do that as a pup, yeah. With a good team, yeah. We're talking about Scott Dixon, world champion. And Colton Herta, because, boy, is that, is that kid just all kinds of amazing and yeah, uh, there's some monsters in F1. I don't know if Colton has the talent to beat all of them, but I am pretty confident he could beat more than half of them. Uh, Kevin DeVries, MP. I know nothing of the world of journalism, so apologies if this is rudimentary or real inside baseball. Last week, you spoke about the challenge you had getting a positive request for an interview uh, from folks not in IndyCar or sports cars. That was NASCAR. I uh, would have thought that sort of outcome may be more likely of trying to reach someone inside F1, as it appears to me uh, pretty exclusionary. Whereas with your contributions to Racer and other outlets, I think most folks within the North American motorsports community would know of you. Or is it fairly common across motorsports where PR staff prefer to stick with media members they're familiar with? Also, is there truth that some teams are just easier to work with because their media protocols aren't as stringent? Uh, referring to stories about the likes of Team Penske or Hendrick needing to approve some types of external media before it gets released, uh, says, such as the longer-form stuff from Dinner with Racers. Uh, P.S., sorry for being so wordy. I'll try to ask a shorter question in the future. Dude, just ask away. Short, short, not a concern. Um, I'll start with your last question first about our pals at Dinner with Racers. Um, when, if any of you happen to know or would care. Uh, I was part of their first season of interviews, uh, which was fun. And I've known Sean. I actually met Ryan Eversley for the first time during the interview, uh, during the podcast. Sean had known for however many years beforehand and considered him a, a, a pal. Good guy. Very good guy. 
Um, they had said throughout the process, throughout the inquiry, throughout whatever, oh, well, you know, oh, you know, uh, we'll, we'll edit this together and then we'll send it to you to listen and to approve. And I just told them right there, please don't. <laughs> you know, whatever I say, I say it's said yours to use. If it comes out of my mouth, it's approved. Even the dumb stuff, even the bad stuff. Again, I try to apply my unpolished turd approach I do with this show. If I say it, it's going into the show. Even if it's a mistake, even if it's stupid, whatever. Um, even if I get hate mail or, man, you're dumber than we thought afterwards. Cool, whatever. It's just going to invoke Juan Montoya again. It is what it is. Um, but that was something they offered. I can't tell you, because I don't know, because I've never asked, if Team Penske or Hendrick required approval uh, of any of their people who appeared on Dinner with Racers uh, in order to grant access to those people. I don't know. Um, I know that I, on occasion, rare occasion, have a team ask if they can look at a story or look at something before it goes live. Um, and I say no quickly and loudly because you'll often get, the, well, you know, I just want to make sure, you know, everything's accurate and correct. I go, that's awesome. Thank you. Um, there are people at Racer Magazine or Road Track or wherever who are paid to do that exact thing. They're called editors. And so... I appreciate your offer, which I really don't. Uh, but no, this isn't yours. You're not controlling it. You're not giving input on how it should or shouldn't read, how the audio should or shouldn't be. That's not how this works with me. Maybe others allow that or approve it. I don't because it's you open that door up, man. You never get it closed again. It becomes an expectation. And that's not trying to say I'm cool and they're bad and I'm a tough ass. No, it's just respecting lines of who's on what side and not being a, allowing someone to be a habitual line stepper. So unless it's some crazy hyper quadruple sensitive thing, right? Oh my goodness. You know, something just happened uh, and this, you know, there's a potential for the answers given or the whatever for destroying a team, a sponsor. Again, that's just the responsibility to the sport where you go, no, I'm not giving you control of this, but I'm, of course I'm willing to talk, share with me the sensitive areas that you have. And then, you know, we can go from there. Uh, that's just doing what's in the best interest of the sport, but handing over control, uh, final approval or whatever, like, uh, no, whenever I, I shouldn't say whenever, sometimes when I get that, you know, Hey, yeah, no, it was great. Glad that you got to speak with someone. Hey, could we take a look at that? Uh, before you, you send that out? Well, how's this before you send out your next driver announcement, your next sponsor announcement, whatever you want to send that to me first. So I can take a look at it. And folks tend to kind of get the absurdity of like, Oh, yeah, huh, um, that this relationship doesn't really work if we start making big demands on each other that are out of our lanes. So um, that's that part. 
to your bigger, the overarching question, as I know, Kevin, and as I have been reminded uh, more times than I can remember uh, from readers, listeners, whatever, I could be considered a bigger fish in a very small pond. And by bigger, I guess that's maybe a fat joke I'm making about myself. There aren't many of us doing what I do anymore. Uh, there's me, there's Miller, there's, I don't know the guy at the Indie Star, never met him. That's not a dismissive thing. I just, uh, it was Jim Aiello last year. Things happen in personal life that take him be away from the racetrack. I don't believe I've ever met the guy who's replaced him. So again, that's nothing negative or critical at all. Just I've never met the guy. So that's what me, Miller, Malsher at Motorsport, and I'm seeing a lot of things with M's, uh, the gent at the Indy Star, whose name I don't recall. Um, and I'm talking, you know, outlets, real outlets, not kind of more fan-based outlets. Not that they those aren't real, but again, if we're talking media outlets, sports outlets that cover right major things like motor racing. There aren't many of us left, and there certainly aren't many of us left who do this full-time as a reporter. So if I'm one of like four or five, you know, it's not a surprise that it's not e- – it, that it's – Jesus, I can't even speak anymore. It shouldn't be a surprise, Kevin, that if I need something with an IndyCar driver – team owner, manager, whatever, it's 99% of the time super easy because I pick up the phone and say, hey, driver, got a question for you. And then they answer, and then I do the story, and it's done, or whatever. Small arena, I'm a crazy small guy, not physically, but stature-wise, in motor racing. I cover IMSA as well. I can call anybody in IMSA and by and large, get them on the phone right away. It's all easy because again, these are by comparison to NASCAR and F1 tiny things. So being as one of the few people working in those covering those tiny things, it's not hard to get folks on the line. Cause I know most of them, heck I've worked with a lot of them, um, back in the day when I was a crew member. So yeah, when I need to pick up the phone, and want to interview or get a hold of someone outside of my immediate area of relevance, because I am 100% irrelevant in NASCAR and F1. There's be no reason for anyone there to know who I am or for me to have any relevance because I don't cover those series directly uh, or more than rarely in some capacity. Uh, It's not a surprise, Kev. So it normally happens. A little bit of inside baseball here. Uh, since you mentioned that term, which I love, to close here. Uh, when I wanted to talk to Jimmy Johnson about his IndyCar iRacing debut, I reached out to a friend with a lot of experience and deep connections in the NASCAR paddock and said, hey, I'd love to interview Jimmy about this. Could you help make an introduction or a connection to his people? And he did. And seemingly within a half hour, Jimmy Johnson's calling me uh, at the end of the race. And we had a great conversation. Off we go. Without my friend, 
making that introduction and vouching for me. Hi, you don't know this guy. He works in a form of the sport that's not yours. Uh, He's a good guy, not a total idiot, but he'll take good care of you. Um, Door opens, interview happens, off we go. Uh, In the case of the one that I offered last week, which was to Richard Petty Motorsports, wanting to interview Bubba Wallace. Thought that after he'd done a whole big wave of interviews about Confederate flag coming down off of that, uh, we might have an opportunity to have an interesting discussion about his role elevating as a leader in terms of social change, responsibility, etc. And maybe the life I've led and the experience I've had might allow me to ask some questions that others haven't or to interact with him in a way that's different than you've seen in other interviews, I thought that would be a good thing. Uh, I thought that there could be something additive done here, Um, positive, insightful, something. And the person that I asked, hey, do you know any who has NASCAR, who's lots of NASCAR stuff, um, said, hey, could you connect me with someone there? Do you know? And said, I Unfortunately, I don't actually know anyone, but this is the contact for the person in charge on the media side. And so it wasn't that vouching for. And so it was just a blind email for me to the team. And again, I got the most polite dismissals you've ever seen, truly. Like they're the sweetest things. But it's all because they don't know me. I'm not a part of that community. And just as I don't expect PR folks at Richard Petty Motorsports to know the lineage of who covers what and did what in IndyCar, um, you know, there's no expectation for them to say, oh, well, this is a guy and he has a request and I see in his signature block in his email that he has two clients, you know, the two sites that he outlets that he writes for, they're, you know, real. Um, let me think about this. I absolutely think, and this is not a criticism, Kev. I absolutely think this was a, I don't know this person. I've gotten a bunch of requests for Bubba, even if things are slowing down. Um, I don't know this person. Uh, if I've got limited slots to offer for him, because we're not going to have him on the phone or on video 24 hours a day. I'm going to go with the ones that I know the people asking that I know and have a relationship with, or are from media outlets that are so big that man, uh, it'd be a dereliction of duty for me and our sponsors. See, they're actually coming to get me. I don't know if you can hear outside. Um, if I don't make this happen for Bubba and for us and our sponsors, So I totally get, Kev, why this happened. I'm not bitter by any means. Of course, you wish they'd go, oh, yeah, I've heard of you. Um, eh, You know, they've never heard of me. I'd never heard of them beforehand. It's a mutual not knowing. Um, F1, you know, uh, when I need to connect with someone there, uh, it's either through, I'll reach out to racers, Chris Medland. Or I'll reach out to an old pal, uh, good old Will Buxton. Or, you know, I've got a couple friends that work in F1. Not a ton, but a couple friends will ask questions, poke around there. 
Uh, I still have my Gunther Steiner uh, interview that I'm going to put up here as soon as I, like, I got to get that thing up. Um, that's just reaching out to a guy that I know who used to do stuff in IndyCar. who's now working there. Who's again, super good guy. So bottom line, man, uh, it's usually relationships. It's usually relationships and it's the cold calls or the cold emails that I hate the most because in most cases they deliver exactly what you expect. Someone going, eh, I don't know you. Uh, all righty. Oh boy. Uh, Sasha Khan 24. I might do more just, yeah, I think this is just a read compared to a question. Uh, MP in your 1989 Indy 500 podcast with little Al, he mentioned he had two jobs during the race, stay out of trouble and stay in the lead lap. As much as I enjoy the recent close racing, I miss that need to stay on the lead lap. In 1989, it seemed to take the leader about six laps or so to catch lapped traffic. There was about a 10-mile-per-hour gap in qualifying between Mears and Rich Vogler. The dramatic finish was a result of two great cars battling while trying to navigate lap traffic. At that point, Emmo and Unser were the only cars in the lead lap. Fast forward to 2019, where there was about a three-mile-an-hour gap between pole sitter Simon Pagano and last place qualifier Kyle Kaiser in the race 17 of the cars finish on the lead lap with a new engine and or cars or anything planned to decrease parity or at least increase the speed difference between the leader and the back marker uh, and then adds a few more things as well yeah maybe the thing that I mentioned about more power could be a thing so maybe more power would lead to more explosions which would lead to fewer cars potentially on the lead lap but there really and truly is something when on big ovals, as we had in the past during this 1989 race you're talking about, where there had to be significant considerations of lifting. I wouldn't say breaking so much, but there were real differences that came as a result of each lap not being easy, easy, flat. And this is the thing that does expose driver skill, team skill. Uh, the current cars are really good. If we're talking about just overall build quality and reliability, downforce, while of course every driver would love more, downforce and drag are in okay places. Power is okay. It makes it a lot easier for great cars and decent cars to live in the same neighborhood performance wise and not have a whole ton of cars falling off a lap or two just because they're all running as hard as they can but there's some that just keep falling farther and farther and farther back it's just we're in a place where parity is you know it's a real thing so granted we won't get into the fact that there were you know a lot of different chassis and engine types plus driver skill and competencies back then we also have the best overall talent level ever in recent years so the ones struggling at the back back in the day who were truly struggling wasn't because the car was wasn't set up to their liking it's because they kind of halfway sucked we're good enough to get into the field which is an amazing thing that most humans can't but among what we consider IndyCar royalty, 
yeah, back in the day, there are a lot more drivers that were like, boy, that's iffy. <laughs> boy, you're iffy. Um, today, even the iffy ones, hey, you finished ninth, seventh, twelfth, like, whoa, something that on, you know, maybe back in the day would have been 24th, 28th. Um, the cars are a lot better. The drivers are a lot better. So all I can try and think of is well, how do we introduce the things that separate the finest tier of talent from the rest. And that is having a car going too quickly to turn in and stick when you get to the corners, uh, turn one and turn three. Um, and maybe any of the other bigger ish type ovals, although we don't really have many left. Um, that's the only thing I can really think of. Uh, let's get that power up there and see what we do here. Uh, Mike Makowski. How you doing, Mike? Social distancing guidelines notwithstanding. One of my favorite things about being an IndyCar fan is the degree of access to drivers, teams, cars, and tracks. Uh, we are afforded via pit and paddock passes along with other fan experiences. Has this level, level of access always been the case? Or was it more difficult in the past for the average fan to interact with drivers, teams, and cars when crowds were much bigger? Yes, Michael. We are very lucky today in ways that we were not... I don't know what, 20 years ago, um, you know, constant autograph signings, uh, you know, Hey, we're, it's, it's all drivers. They're going to be here. Come and get it. Um, uh, that, yeah, that wasn't always a thing. Modern day for sure. There, there's a understanding, uh, that we have now that we did not, not too long ago that, you know what? you can't really treat the folks buying the tickets as keeping them behind the velvet rope. You gotta, let's do something that most, that no other sports really do. And that is let it, let you get in up close. So I don't know, maybe 20 years or so. That's kind of been the norm. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, it, it shoot Sonoma comes to mind where unless you, had a unless you had a hard card or some sort of quadruple special pass the whole actual paddock the where the indie cars were in the garages and all the transporters um there were fences up all the way around you know there's what two points of access i think three at most whatever it was like think somewhere i'm going huh this doesn't really kind of fit what i expect but that's the way they did it uh, you can buy paddock passes and have been able to buy paddock passes for a long time, uh, many tracks. So that isn't necessarily new. Some tracks, again, didn't haven't always been open to that, weren't always open to that, but that's become more or less the norm. Some tracks even are just, they're open. Like, hey, you buy a ticket to get in, getting into the paddock is just part of it. It's free. Not something all do, but I wish they would. But you, you do have something here, Michael, where there was a point, you know, 80s and 90s is the best I can speak to because that's, you know, something that I remember was there for a significant amount of uh, really from the mid-80s onwards. Um, yeah, uh, getting access to drivers was not always a lot of fun. Uh, it would, I mean, I remember just as a fan wanting to get some autographs at, you know, 15 years old or 16, and that would involve standing out in front of the transporter for ever not like oh hey all the drivers are going to be here line up or you know it was having to try and 
plan okay so the session is going to be over and this is where the driver i want an autograph from is on pit lane and are they on a scooter are they on a whatever how do i get to them can i even get close are they going to tell me to go away is there going to be 15 other people trying to do it is there going to be a pr person yelling at us to go away who knows um i think and i'm not and and i'm sure i'm wrong but i i think in many cases, if a driver is in the transporter and isn't busy, not in a meeting, not sleeping, not whatever, not eating, but if they're in the transporter and not doing much, and you see a crew member and say, "Hey, is Simon Pagano there? Do you think he could sign? You know, would love to get a photo or something?" They might probably go get him, or at least tell you how. You know, uh, he'll probably be out in about fifteen minutes. If you could wait, that'd be great. You know, whatever, but. Uh, there was a lot of buzz off, man, kind of vibe going on, um, back in the day, Michael. So we are blessed in that regard today. Uh, all right. We have three to go. And I think one or two of these have a lot of reading involved and not necessarily question, which is something I enjoy as well. Uh, we're going to go to the real M O IndyCar desperately needs to broaden the fan base with new and younger fans. How can they accomplish this when they are so far behind in regard to esports and other younger avenues? The iRacing series exposed this problem when compared to F1 and NASCAR. Excellent question. So in a story that I'm wanting to get done here and published before the end of the week, there is an angle I'm just, I'll mention, which is really obvious. I'm positive it's been mentioned a hundred times before in print or on television cannot be and certainly is not a new idea we'll get to that in just a sec when i mention that yes the esports the youth the younger avenues clearly indycar needs to do more something sustainable and real uh, i've heard there could be some person at least one personnel change that could expedite this more on that if and when it happens sorry to dangle that one out there but it just occurred to me so yes, you're absolutely correct. Proper esports engagement, and again, not just trying to get the youths, the youth involved. Because hey, we hear they like the the video games and stuff. They like the Ataris, but real like hey, this it means something. It's valuable, and we gotta fully invest in this financially, but mentally as well. That has to happen. Well known. You mentioned it. Everyone's mentioned it. We've been talking about it for years. IndyCar needs its own video game its own something for the various gaming platforms, streaming, online, whatever. It's got to be in this space. It's not. It's fallen behind. It sucks. you got to fix this. Cool. The IndyCar iRacing Challenge was a glimpse of what it could be. But that's over, and what's next? Okay. The thing that definitely continues to occur to me and that I will be writing about or including in what I'm writing So on the topic of social responsibility, fighting and doing whatever one can to eradicate racism, injustice, inequality in whatever infinitesimal way that motor racing could, let's just say IndyCar, to add its little .000 whatever percent of helping in a positive way. So there's this thing called women 
there's this thing called black people. There's this thing called Latino people. There's this thing called Asian people. There's this thing called add (laughs) all the (laughs) gender, sexuality, ethnicity, categories, modifiers, hyphenates, add all those things together. And that seems to represent to me a pretty good reason for IndyCar, not IndyCar alone, IMSA, IndyCar, all racing, uh, I'm sorry, NASCAR, all racing series. But since this is an IndyCar show, on the topic of, boy, need to broaden the fan base with new and younger fans, man, if we're trying to think of a reason to become socially aware and active and try and do very positive things to make a significant impact in whatever way can be done by a racing series and its participants standing out as a series with morals and values backed by action investing in things donating to things creating social programs stem drive for diversity a diversity hiring initiative within the organization these seem like the kinds of things where if you were to do them you could stand a chance of courting and or welcoming new and younger fans that don't look like me that's not again it's not hating on me and my fellow white people more aptly, my fellow older white men, older white males. That's IndyCar's demographic. Boys at IndyCar's demographic. Nothing wrong with it. Nothing bad. It's great. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening to the show. Thank you for everything. I'm one of you. Again, there's no nothing negative in this. But where we can certainly find the negative, not in, our, in us, but where we can certainly find the negative is... What does IndyCar and most, what do most racing series do? They keep trying to get the same exact thing. Folks that look like, in most instances, you and me. Not maybe a younger version of us, but it's going after the same demographic. Of course, there have been efforts to try and diversify those efforts. But if all we're trying to do is replenish the fandom herd with younger, skinnier, sexier marshals and marshas. Boy, that seems dumb. Of course. We know that by number, there's the majority of folks in this country look like me. So, of course, you don't stop marketing, stop inviting, stop doing. Of course, you don't change any of that. Be silly. But uh, just occurring to me, not for the first time, but at least just want to try and write about the concept. Hey, IndyCar and NASCAR and some others. Hey, you're struggling. You aren't what you once were. 
you have fewer fans, and not by a little, but by a lot. Your fan base, your remaining fan base is older and fits one specific demographic by and large. If you want to try to have more people, instead of going after the same old, same old, but a little bit younger and just trying to do the eSports thing maybe or something because you hear the Utes like their Ataris, maybe you do real substantial things in changing how you act, changing your policies, changing your viewpoint to do something radical like court women and people that are brown and black and yellow and red and name all the colors where that we don't see name the gender that we by and large don't see lgbtq plus and i know it's nuts <laughs> Part of what we do in racing is look at a thing and say, what isn't there? Even those who win a race will pull in and they will have complaints. Man, this thing couldn't turn to save my life. This thing couldn't stop to save my life. And you go, you just won the race. You go, I know, but this thing was missing. This thing can be improved. I'm not satisfied. There's an absence of something here that stands out. We're always looking for the thing that isn't there that should be performance-wise. I just apply that same mindset, the real MO, (laughs) to us as a crowd and look out and go, oh, what isn't here? Who isn't here? What's missing What is this thing that feels like it should but isn't? And when you look out in the average crowd and go, well, there really aren't many women here, and there really aren't many people of color, huh, I wonder if we were to make an actual effort to invite those people who might, today look at our series and look at the crowd and look at everything and go huh doesn't really look like you want us here because i don't see any representation of that how about making some changes to who you hire to the drivers that you try and help to the pr staff to the truck driver, to the engineer, to the mechanic, to the manager, to the race director of this and the steward of that. and the Imagine trying to create an organization <laughs> that looks like the actual cross-section of humanity outside of the racetrack, both in age, in color, in gender, in orientation. Imagine doing that! Because, let's just say for totally selfish reasons, not because you actually want to be good members of society, but strictly for business purposes. Real, just hard, cut-and-dried dollars and cents. There's a really compelling argument to be made. Even if you 
hate women, folks that are not heterosexual, hate people that are black and brown and red, hate all of them. Get them out of here. But man, we sure need more fans. Well, whatever they've been doing isn't really working and hasn't been working for a long time. There's been gradual upticks in fan base, gradual upticks in numbers. But again, it's little drops in a big bucket. Real change. You go, well, what isn't here? Even if you hate all everyone I just mentioned, there's a really compelling business argument to be made, I believe, to say, well, so what if we actually went after all these people and showed them that, oh, actually, yes, there are many women, people of color, people of all sexual identification, all kind. Hey, it is the diaspora of the world represented in our series. On the racetrack, on pit lane, in the grandstands, in the everywhere. Hey, this is actually representative of us as a country. I got to believe that becomes a lot easier to get the women and the people of color and the people of whatever orientation to say, ah, okay, that looks like a place I'm welcome. Really, truly welcome. I think there's something here, the real MO. I know that the esports thing seems like a magic ticket to get the Utes, and it will absolutely have a positive effect. But that's, that's a, I would say, hashtag coming from the hashtag me personally approach, that's not going to be enough. If IndyCar is willing to make substantial changes to how it looks, how it thinks, what it represents on and off the track, in the corporate office, in the engineering safety room, in the cars, etc. Boy, there's a lot of people with ancestry from all throughout the world that are whatever it is, dash Americans or non-male or, or, or that might actually come out and put butts in seats and dollars into those concession stands and member and merchandise trailers and whatever else i don't know why this hasn't just become a strict business decision the real mo by indycar huh what we've been doing isn't working why are we continuing to ignore a whole bunch of people that have never been here but could i don't know maybe it's crazy talk uh not too dissimilar topic from Lake Effect Racing. Marshall, in 1999, Dodge began a diversity program in NASCAR. NASCAR in 2004. How is it I drink something and my voice goes hoarse? I don't get that. NASCAR in 2004 adopted what is now the drive for diversity, which many programs like Rev Racing, uh, Diversity Internship Program, Leader Initiative, and NASCAR Diversity Awards were founded. As much as NASCAR is thought of backwards, uh, they invested a long time ago. Not only do they invest in programs for diversity, but they also invest in feeder series like Pinty, Wheelin' Series, Cascar, Mexico Series, iRacing, and Euro Series. 
I can appreciate the road to Indy and the support of Mazda. While karting may not be diverse as the other sports, there is some diversity, but nobody from IndyCar Corporate, Roger, Chip, and the other owners are there for support. Even if NASCAR, I'm sorry, even if IndyCar team owners don't want to sponsor an event, I can't imagine it would cost much money to set up a tent at a local or national karting event and recruit for IndyCar Nation, Road to Indy, and a diversity program developed by an IndyCar team or IndyCar on a corporate level. Uh, the fact that they're IndyCar drivers at some of the national events, I'm sure they would have them hang out at, at a tent for a couple hours. I'm sure there are better ideas, but just thinking out loud. Yeah, and this is the thing that I've been started writing last week, and I'm going to include the mention here about, hey, there's a business reason to look beyond your primary demographic, and it's the NASCAR, <laughs> the moral leader of motorsports. This is amazing along with the drive for diversity, uh, which I think I mentioned in something that I wrote, I don't know, however long ago, that NASCAR created it, and some folks, thankfully and rightfully, uh, said, no, dummy, it was Dodge, and it was kind of co-opted by NASCAR. So this is the thing that I'm writing about. Again, you probably have no reason, there would be no reason to read it because I've discussed it enough here in the show, but this is the thing. This is exactly what I have been thinking that i'm writing about nascar is leading in so many ways and there's some other things that i haven't mentioned that are just like blowing my mind but nascar is leading in so many ways that it's now impossible for me at least to not make some columns and compare indycar and compare imsa uh, as it's two primary road racy and or oval type rivals and just see, all right, where do you fit? Where, How are you guys doing and keeping up? And can freaking blowing my mind that I'm saying this, but all respect to NASCAR. It is so backwards in so many ways, but it is now so forward in so many ways. Um, 100% with you. Uh, it all feeds into a central theme. Some of you might be really tired of hearing me talk about it. I can tell you, because I've had this discussion with a few people in IndyCar, gosh, I wish I there was no reason to talk about it. I wish it was easier to get folks to care and act. I feel a little bit crazy because the amount of apathy that I am getting from some areas just makes me think I might be way off. My radar might be way off on this based on the meh kind of responses that I've been getting uh, in some areas. It's just one of those things that's either (laughs) stupid generalism alert. This is either a thing or it isn't. It's either something that we do and recognize the times we're in and the fact that even though it's not leading the news every night like it was for many weeks, there's still real real strong, passionate support and belief and movement taking place every day in folks younger than I to make sure that equality for people of color is achieved in their lifetime and so here we are talking about this and we've been talking about it a lot lately uh 
because it's happening now and it's painful or it's frustrating or it's many things, but it's happening now. You either get in while it's happening or you don't. And I am so hopeful IndyCar gets in because it's been late to adopt hybridization. Hybridization is so old that it's almost retro tech and it's still a year or two away from happening. Here's something that's been going on forever. Now, finally, we're at a time where it feels like there's a mass approval to do big and important things, set up a drive for diversity, set up a internal drive for diversity, just, hey, be more inclusive. And you're either it's either a thing or it isn't. And if you don't and you decide not to, that okay. Uh just don't don't be too upset if you get written off. And if you actually see a reduction in fans, maybe not today or tomorrow or next year or two years, but, you know, don't be surprised if some folks that would have been really interested to jump in right now, learning that IndyCar had made some of these modernization efforts to be more inclusive through action, not words. Those folks never heard about you. I'll tell you what, there's a lot of people who didn't know a thing about NASCAR that do now want to watch it, want to follow it, want to support Bubba, who they didn't know a week ago, a day ago, a month ago. I mean, NASCAR is everywhere. Not always for the right reason, obviously. The noose incident and the Confederate flag protests and blah, blah, blah. But... You want to talk about sympathy and motivation and whatever. Like, I just keep waiting. Like, hey, man, do you need a black driver IndyCar for you to actually get in the game? <laughs> I mean, get off your ass. I'm doing as much as I can with my ridiculously limited means. Most of it is never seen. It's never publicly. It's never seen through social media, right? Uh, it just, it is what it is. Juan Montoya. It's been that way for 20 plus years of my life. And that's just as a private citizen trying to not be a selfish jackass. I don't always succeed, but I try to be better than my base self. I mean, it'd be hard to imagine that a racing series could actually do similar in terms of being private. Like, you'd want these things to be publicly known. Maybe they're in motion. Well, I mentioned last week that I heard there might have been something brewing. I can only hope that that still keeps going. I heard uh, a follow-up meeting on that. Never happened. <sighs> Sorry, y'all. I really, I really, truly come into this weekly town hall of ours with a mindset and an intent of being up and fountain of 
love and positivity is or as much as I can. I'm struggling right now and I don't want to put on airs and I don't want to pretend. So if this is a grumpier visit with MP, if any of you are still even listening, I apologize. I'm not apologizing for how I feel and for being true and honest to that. But I do apologize for the fact that I know some of you just, I guess, again, want the Q&A and want it to be fun or breezy or enlightening or whatever. And, you know, man, we're living in times right now where there's an unusual amount of darkness trying to combat the light. And uh, I can't pretend otherwise, at least in the life that I live and who I live it with. Uh, I can't pretend things don't exist that do exist. Um, John Ranjow, you got a final question here for me. Send it in next week, please. It's just not fitting where my head's at. You get the time from time to time, the just, just stick to racing Pruitt comments. Just, I don't come here for, I come here to escape, right? That's one that's fairly common, whether it's said to me, written to me, or I see in comments on whatever, a story article or otherwise. I don't come here I for political or race or whatever thing, you know, I come here to escape this stuff. Damn it. I don't know what to tell you. I live in the same world as everyone else. This stuff is happening. It's having real world effects and it's coloring everything. I'm also aware that man, this is the last thing I'm going to mention. And then we're going to say farewell, man. I am so jealous of those who can say, just stick to the sports. I don't come here for this stuff. I come here to escape that stuff. In other words, I'm pissed at you for inserting problems of the real world that I can choose to ignore when I want. I'm not saying as a white guy that I am put upon in whatever negative ways. I'm not. So that's not hashtag me personally speaking. That's just sharing that for someone who shares his life with someone who can't choose to ignore such things bleeds over into all of our world. So that's something that does stand out. I don't come here for this stuff. I come to escape the other stuff. And you go, man, that's pretty awesome. I mean, I know I could escape it. I could just pretend none of this stuff exists. None of the things that affect the Prude household, they don't affect hashtag me personally, whatever. Not everyone's that fortunate. (laughs) Not everyone can choose to ignore such things because sometimes... People that don't look like me 
have pretty bad days where a lot of not really cool things are visited upon them or their people. So maybe once we as a people decide to act right, maybe we can just get back to talking about racing and whatever things that amuse us and the ills of the world are no longer slowing us down from enjoying one another or tainting the joy in our days. I am Marshall Pruitt. This might be the least liked episode I've ever recorded. Final time, thanks to our man Juan Montoya. It is what it is. I appreciate you for listening, especially if you've made it this far. I am really hoping that next week's episode is breezy and sunshine and puppy dogs and ice cream. And I'm going to say thank you to the awesome folks at Cooper Tires and the Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com, Bell Racing Helmets USA. I'm going to go have dinner. So let's 1030 4 p.m., y'all.